Okay, so first of all, thanks to everybody for joining live. Uh, there's almost 70 people uh, have booked in for this uh, tonight, so we're absolutely delighted with that. Uh, it's Menopause 101. Uh, that's what we decided to call it because we want to just give you the basics around menopause and just start a conversation around menopause because I think over the last year, last number of months, uh, some amazing women have been working really hard uh, to make, put menopause in the forefront of conversation uh, in the workplace and just in general life. And what it done for me was it, it brought it into to, to my, my eyesight. So for a guy who trains women all his life for the last 10 years, like, you know, my whole career, I've been training majority women. It is an area that, you know what, I didn't know a lot about. Uh, I know a lot about menstrual cycle, I'd like to believe. I know about pre and postnatal. This is just an area that uh, I didn't have a lot of knowledge on. And it really opened my eyes to the importance of me gaining knowledge as a coach, uh, but also our clients knowing it and everybody, everybody should know it. I think I've said it in stories a couple of times, you know, not just females, not just females in their 40s. I think everybody, both like males, partners, children need to know about this natural thing that happens in a woman's body um what happened for me is when i started learning about uh menopause and how it affects women i had the exact same reaction as when i first started learning about the menstrual cycle uh, for me the menstrual cycle was a massive eye-opener to that all women again needed to know in regards how it affected their their health physically mentally how it affected their performance in the gym how it affected when it came to weight loss when it came to having energy levels throughout the gym and I went on a bit of a mission to try and tell as many people about that like females about that so they could understand if the scales is fluctuating why their mood might be low why they're they might be going for the the sugary foods again why their training might not be as good down to hormonal changes happening in the body and I think for me what I've learned on menopause is even on a grander scale and it really was even watching the menopause summit where I learned a lot of my information I went, oh my God, everybody needs to know about this. And I, I really saw it that way. So that is the goal from the talk. And I think like Ashling and Bramwin as well, have, we've all kind of gone down the rabbit hole of learning about what menopause is. And the reason we're calling it Menopause 101 is because we're going to give you some basic information that we want you to take away. And that's, that's it. We want you to understand. We always start our talks with an intention. The intention from this talk is for you to just understand what menopause is, the difference between menopause and perimenopause, which I think is very important. And Ashton's going to go through those in a few seconds. We're going to talk about the signs and the symptoms of recognizing when you may be going into perimenopause. Uh, and that's going to be crucial to empower you. We're going to talk about the role that I see we can play as coaches uh, in regards improving a healthy lifestyle because everything I've learned today it has been you know having a healthy lifestyle can help improve and manage symptoms of perimenopause and menopause so that's where I think we'll delve in a bit more detail uh, on that area and we're also going to talk about future proofing yourself so looking ahead to a healthier you in 20 years time and in 30 years time because that's going to be really important and before we continue, I suppose, I'd like to get across uh, a barrier that was there for me to start talking about this was, Ian, you're a 34-year-old male who's never going to experience any of these symptoms that you're going to be talking about, never going to experience it one-on-one. -on -one. And that was a big barrier to me going, do it, you know, am I the person to start this conversation, to, to speak more about it? And when I was on the Menopause Summit, uh, which was with Catherine O'Keefe, we'll, we'll send you her kind of details to follow her after this uh, she really opened my eyes and I asked the question I said as a 34 year old male who owns a gym you know how do I start a conversation about menopause you know without getting you'll never know you'll never understand uh, and I won't ever fully understand but the answer was amazing she was like Ian this was live on the seminar she was like Ian you just need to start talking about it because that's the biggest problem at the moment with menopause people are not openly talking about it and that is one of the biggest goals we are now going to try and achieve here in ATP and you know online and with everybody is that we start conversations that this becomes a regular normal thing that everybody speaks about because when that happens you create a community you create support and one of the biggest takeaways from everything I've learned so far is how important a support network is so the goal here is that you come away from this today with basic knowledge that you're actually comfortable to start a conversation with your friend, with a family member, 
if they are going through it, if you're going through it and just have a conversation of this is what's happening or if they are telling you what's happening, you have a bit of an understanding because that's going to dramatically change how somebody feels and their journey through menopause. So that's why we're here. So we said we're not going to be here for more than an hour, uh, but you, you know, most you know what I'm like. Uh, Ashing won't be too bad, I'd say. But any questions, what I want you to do is put them into the question box and we'll be happy to answer them at the end. Uh, but make sure just put them in as, as you think of them because you may forget at the end. So we're going to get going. Uh, menopause 101. Here we go. So knowledge is power. This, as I said, is the main thing we want to discuss is that for too long we've had our head in the sand. Uh, everybody, like me especially, and lots of other people. And even talking to clients. And I said to these clients, you know, when I said I was doing this talk, I was like, are you booked into the talk? No. Why not? Oh, I don't need to know about that thing. I don't want to know about that. And like that is head in the sand type stuff. And that's stuff that does frustrate me because this is a very normal, natural thing that happens a female's body. Uh, and I, so I believe every female should know. But also say the effects that it has uh, on, on females that it is really important that we know when it's happening, know that we can do something, I say we, <laughs> know that women can do something about it and that they can improve their symptoms boy speaking about it to a gp to their friends you know improving their lifestyle so we want to take people's head out of the sand when it comes to menopause and that's going to start with education and you having a basic knowledge which ashing is now going to give you okay so we thought the best place to start was just by defining um exactly what all these things are okay so we're going to start with the menopause so the menopause is a time in a woman's life when she has had no periods for 12 consecutive months and um, when this can't be explained by any other kind of medical or health related conditions. So the average age of onset is 51 years of age and it's hormonal changes that I suppose trigger the menopause to occur. So our ovaries have two main functions um, they release an egg every month for fertilization um, but they also produce um, hormones um, mainly progesterone, estrogen and testosterone. So basically the menopause occurs when the ovaries stop producing these eggs and levels of these hormones fall, okay? And these hormones affect a whole host of different processes in our bodies. And this is why the symptoms of menopause um, can be, I suppose, so far reaching and can affect, you know, so many different um, parts of the body. Um, and that's why we think having an understanding is really, really important. Um, so then the perimenopause, um, we thought it was really important to differentiate, um, I guess, between the two. Um, so this is the time leading up to the cessation of periods um, it's when your ovaries begin to slow down and levels of those hormones start to fluctuate um, it generally starts in your mid-40s um, and it can last from a few months in some women up until a few years in others and it's during this time that you may first start to notice symptoms so you know your periods may start to become um, irregular they may become lighter um, and you may start to experience other symptoms like hot flushes, joint pain, night sweats. Um, we're going to talk about all these um, a little bit later, um, but I suppose just be aware that this is when those symptoms may start um, occurring for you. Um, early menopause then um, is just when a woman experiences this cessation in her periods before the age of 45 years of age. And premature ovarian insufficiency is when a woman then experiences the onset of menopause before age 40. So this can occur naturally. Um, or it can be medically induced. So for example, if someone's getting cancer treatment or if someone has a hysterectomy, um, they'll be put into a medically induced menopause. Um, for these women, um, obviously it's beyond a school practice to talk about it, um, I suppose like fully, but um, it's recommended that these women um, generally go on to HRT just to protect their bones and their health um, because they've gone into menopause um, so early. Um, and postmenopause then is any time in a woman's life after their menopause. Um, so this can occur or this can account for up to a third of a woman's life and as women live longer they're spending more time um, I suppose post-menopause and that's why we kind of felt it was really important to uh, start talking about it. So I hope that gives you a slight understanding uh, as to the different types when it comes to menopause and perimenopause uh, and I think something that was discussed uh, in one of the lectures I was watching was when it came to say medically induced menopause uh, 
that the woman was, you know, uh, had her ovaries removed and was induced into uh, menopause and got no information at all leaving mm-hmm. uh, in regards like symptoms or how she might feel or about HRT or anything. And then they did like, this is UK based, but it just was, you know, interesting in where like even in the medical professional side of things, it isn't really an open conversation that happens. So again, if you're empowered and you have this knowledge, then you can maybe bring up this conversation and be okay with having that discussion uh, yourself. So what we're going to talk about next is going to be the signs and the symptoms. Uh, so I know this can be very scary to look at. Uh, and this, like, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't have every symptom. Uh, it does a lot there, I know. Uh, and when discussing, again, as when, when I started learning more about the menopause, I, started, I was comfortable to start having conversations with clients, you know, asking them, like, have they been through it? Are they going through it? Uh, how, how has the journey been for them? And... I think everyone will agree, anyone who's been through it uh, or has a friend who's been through it, everybody is completely unique in their symptoms. Uh, and that's so important. So like what's up here are what some people might feel. What's up here is where some people might feel one, they might feel none, they might feel lots of them. Okay. And it is very, very indiv- individual. Uh, so if you're not somebody who's in perimenopause or menopause and you're looking at this getting really scared you know it doesn't mean you're going to get uh, all of these things are going to happen to you but there are things to be aware of because again from what we've learned when it comes to in exclamation marks already in quotation marks like diagnosing menopause uh like symptoms are probably the biggest diagnosis uh that they use versus even now at this stage uh bloods because if you're kind of going to your doctor and saying here are all these symptoms that i have and because you recognize that they may be due to perimenopause, then you're having a different conversation with your doctor. Uh, and then like they may, be do, they may, they may do bloods, but it, again, it's about recognizing that these symptoms could be from hormone fluctuations in your body. And when it comes to some of the symptoms, again, I'm glad I've been able to have conversations with my clients about the different symptoms that they've gone through. Like irregular periods is one of the main ones that we'd always kind of talk about. For us, like the menstrual cycle, as I said, is always day one in ATP has always been a sign that we look for, for, for health, for, you know, for someone just how they're feeling good. Is that going to be that? Do they have a regular menstrual cycle? So tracking your cycle is, is really important. So no matter where you are in your life, I think tracking your cycle is, is, is key. Um, and just noting has it become a regular, you can, as Ashley spoke about, it can become lighter over time. It can become very heavy and it's just, it kind of, it can widen between uh, when you, when you had your last period, so when you start recognizing this, this is, this is, can be one of the first signs of, of perimenopause. There can be other reasons this happens, but it's just to be aware. And it's the same with all of these symptoms. There can be other reasons besides perimenopause, which is important to note, but also recognizing if you are having some of these symptoms, okay, I may be perimenopausal. I might have a chat with my doctor. So regular periods is one. I think anxiety, anxiety, anxiety is a big one. Uh, and I think the reason that I want to talk about this one again is because from a conversation, it was actually only today I had with a client who was speaking about a friend of hers and she used the term her friend is horizontal. Now, what that means is that she's very calm and relaxed all of the time, very chilled out. And since she's been in perimenopause, uh, situations that she would have just handled no problem at all whatsoever, she is now really, really struggling to handle. And she's, she's really bad anxiety. Uh, she's no on medication for that anxiety. Uh, and that's that can happen so someone who might you know you might be a really calm person not a very anxious person when you're going to perimenopause it can create these anxious feelings um so it is important again to recognize when this comes on and again if you're able to have a conversation with a friend with a partner sometimes with a counselor you know about how you're feeling that's going to be a huge step towards you hopefully managing that anxiety but again recognizing it's not you I've, i've had clients saying like I'm going crazy. I'm, I'm this, I'm that. It's not necessarily you. It's something that's happening in your body that's causing this. You know, I think that's a very important message to take away. Like brain fog is another huge one. Uh, I have a client in there who's, she's gasped, or like, you know, the way she talks about the brain fog, she makes it really funny. And again, from one of the talks that I, that I listened to, I think empowering the symptoms was a big thing they talked about. So instead of like hiding from the symptoms, it's like, you know, saying it out loud was actually what they said. Like, you know, so like, I can't think of that fucking thing of my brain fog, you know, or, you know, geez, I'm really kind of anxious. I can't really cope with this thing you now because of, you know, and it, it, using the words like out loud and just empowering the, like 
them by kind of saying them out loud versus hiding them and trying to hold them back. So they're just a couple that, that can happen. But I said they, they all could happen. One person could have one. You know, could have absolutely none. Again, I know a woman on this talk here uh, told me, you know, she had absolutely no symptoms, breezed through it. Uh, you know, so it is very, very person dependent, but it is something that we want you to be aware of. And as we spoke about uh, today, myself and Ashling, uh, Ashling made a great point of doing a symptoms diary. Uh, if you want to touch a bit more on that. Yeah, so basically, um, I guess the idea behind the symptom diaries, again, like Ian was saying earlier, just keeping a note of like what's going on for you things that you're noticing and it just again like is empowering you when you go to the doctor to be able to say look this is what's happening to me this is how I'm feeling and you know as Ian was saying earlier like that's that plays a big part in how they again in inverted commas diagnose menopause now so they're really heavily taking into account women's symptoms which is really really positive um yeah like when it comes to other symptoms, uh, I suppose it is very person dependent. So like hot flashes, stuff like that. I think that's a very common one that we see in the gym. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is one of the ones that I think, well, from our perspective anyway, is one of the ones that people seem to kind of notice maybe first, but I suppose the irregular periods are first, but kind of it's one of the common ones. Um, and I think with these, it's just to realize the hot flashes that like there is kind of stuff that you can do for it. Um, so again, keeping that symptom diary, some women might find that things like alcohol or caffeine make them worse. Um, some women may find that being stressed or putting themselves under pressure or rushing around um, might make it worse. Um, and a lot of women actually find that exercising makes them better. So kind of noting those things as you go along might be really, really helpful. Um, another symptom that I wanted to touch on was um, kind of around incontinence and um, pelvic floor issues. So I've been doing a lot of learning on all things pre and postnatal recently. Um, and this is something that I, I suppose didn't really as a female didn't realize was something that could happen during the menopause so basically um our pelvic floor muscles are just like any other muscle and as we get older um they can atrophy or or get weaker um and this can cause women to have problems like incontinence or needing to go to the bathroom more or waking up during the night to go to the bathroom and um, so i guess it's just to say that yes these are like normal or they're common but it's not something that you have to put up with um, and there is things that you can do. So again, going to speak to your GP and um, doing things like pelvic floor exercises. Um, and again, keeping that symptom diary. Some women find, again, that things like caffeine and stuff like that can make their symptoms worse. Um, so I guess, yeah, that's where you're really trying to drive home the thing of just keeping that diary and just knowing what's going on for, for you. And if you're thinking like, you know, like what the hell is a symptom diary? If you've done a food diary before, yeah. it's it's very similar in the sense of, when a symptom comes on so let's say you get a hot flash okay and we live in the real world i think like phones are going to be easier to get uh, than uh, than a notepad so open your notes on your phone put in got a hot flash here's when it happened here's what maybe happened beforehand here's how i'm feeling same when it comes to when you start getting anxious okay i've got i got really anxious i really struggled with my anxiety here maybe felt a bit of a panic attack coming on this is what happened this is how i felt like writing these things down might feel like a little bit of work but that couple of minutes is gonna we use the word today arm you uh, to be able to go to your doctor and say look here's what's happening and here's the times it's happening here's how many times it's happened because all of these things are going to be are really relevant so if you don't go to your gp with with lots of information you know he's kind of going to or he or she is kind of going to be guessing as to what the issue is whereas if you can go with the last number of weeks here are these things that have been happening it's just going to help them make the best diagnosis for you so Give the symptom diary a go uh, and see how it works for you. So what can I do? A multifactorial approach is needed. Okay, so finding a GP, creating a healthy lifestyle and building a support network are just some things that you can do. Okay, so when it comes to a GP, finding a competent GP is going to be key. Okay. When I say competent GP, I mean a GP who's competent in the area of menopause. Uh, not all GPs are, but what I, what, from what I know, a lot are becoming more uh, trained up in this area, which is fantastic. If you feel your GP is that person, great. If not, don't be afraid to change GPs and just find somebody more suited to you. Uh, so ask your GP, are they versed in menopause? Like, you know, how much do they know about it? How much have they trained in it? Uh, and make sure you have that support from your GP. Speaking about uh, HRT, which is hormone replacement therapy, as we spoke up before we came on, you know, it's, it's outside technically our scope of practice. But again, from everything we have learned so far, it is absolutely fantastic for helping people with 
perimenopausal symptoms uh, and right through menopause. So having a conversation with your GP around hormone replacement therapy uh, will be massively beneficial to you feeling better throughout your menopause. Getting a second opinion. So I said, everyone has an opinion. Uh, so don't be afraid to get a second one. Uh, if you just feel like, you know, you had a conversation, you're still a bit uneasy, but whatever aspect of it might be, don't be afraid to get a second opinion from a health professional, not from Mary down the street. Uh, feel empowered to speak about your symptoms. And that is a huge one to your doctor. Again, this is where the symptom diary comes in is that like go in and say, this is how I'm feeling. This is what has been happening to me maybe physically, mentally over the last number of weeks. Uh, and, and having that confidence to say, could this be perimenopause? Uh, you know, I've learned this and could it be this and let that doctor explore that. So having the confidence to speak about your symptoms uh, and knowing when it comes to the symptoms, you know, you are not the only person experience these symptoms. You won't, you won't be the first person who have told the doctor about these symptoms. So don't be afraid no matter what that symptom is to tell your doctor about it. When it comes to lifestyle. Uh, so I said the role we, we feel we can play as health coaches is helping people with their lifestyle uh, and being very honest, like, you know, it, it, like improving your lifestyle isn't going to magically improve all your symptoms. It, that's not the case, but it can help. It definitely can help. So assessing and just look, taking a bird's eye view of your current lifestyle. So your sleep patterns, your stress levels, your nutrition, your exercise and your relationships. These are all going to be really crucial to, as to how you feel through your menopause journey. And a support network, this is the biggest takeaway I've taken from the hours of stuff I've watched and learned on menopause has been building a strong support network. And this is, again, if, if you take anything from this talk from my side of things, it's going to be you go and build a support network around this area. Uh, we're going to give you some, uh, some links and some people to follow uh, at the end of the talk. We'll talk about them a little bit more and we'll send the, those names out to everyone who's booked in as well, because getting correct information is important. but being able to speak to a friend about how you're feeling. Uh, I think it's definitely become more open now, which is absolutely fantastic. Again, speaking to clients uh, as reference points, when they start a the conversation with their friends, two or three of them, they start opening up and it becomes a whole different mentality of how they're looking at menopause journey. So getting a support network from your friends. But I think, as I said, and this is where I speak from, as a, from a male perspective, I think males need to know this stuff. So send this to somebody who might watch it because again, if you know that your partner is going through this and they're, they're dealing with these symptoms, you're definitely going to have a different conversation when it comes to certain aspects. Uh, so having, having empowering males to understand about the menopause journey, your family members. So if you've kids, like, you know, having them understand in, you know, it depends on the kid's age, how you're going to put that message across. But again, if your kids understand, or oh, this is happening due to a hormonal change in, in, in mom's body, then that's that, that creates a different conversation, I think. Like, you know, so that's what you want to do is you build a strong support network through friends, through your parent or through your family member. I believe that can only come through education. Uh, and that's what we're hoping you'll be able to help people with from this talk. Okay, so we're going to start with um, nutrition. Um, I think the big point that we both want to get across here is that there is no magic menopause diet, okay? It comes back to like the age-old message of a healthy, balanced diet, okay? So I know you hear that all the time, you hear it from us all the time, but what does it actually mean and what does it actually look like in practice? So a healthy, balanced diet for me contains a variety of different foods from all the different food groups. It doesn't, you know, cut out any foods or restrict them unnecessarily. Um, it doesn't have any good or bad foods and things like that, okay? So when we're looking at our diet, we want to make sure we are getting plenty of fruit and vegetables in. So fruit and veg are really high in vitamins, minerals, and antioxidants that our bodies need to function at their best. Um, they're also a really good source of fiber. Um, fiber is important throughout your whole life, um, but... Um, it's really important um, when you're going through the menopause because it helps to keep your heart healthy um, it helps if you do have a weight loss goal, it can help to support that um, and also it can help to support your pelvic floor health, um, which we chatted a little bit about earlier. Um, we want to make sure we're getting um, whole grain carbs into our diet as well, um, even if you have a weight loss goal, 
they are not something that you need to cut out or avoid. Okay? Carbs are great. <laughs> They're a really, really important source of energy for your brain and um, for your working muscles. Um, they can help to stabilize your mood. Um, they can help to support your sleep. So um, really, really important to include those. Um, try to choose higher fiber options. So you're thinking your brown pastas, your brown rice, your brown bread, um, your oat cakes, all those kind of things. And uh, we want to make sure we're getting a source of protein into each of our meals okay so protein is things like chicken salmon eggs if you're a vegetarian it's things like tofu um, and protein is really important for our overall health and well-being and um, it's basically the building blocks that our body uses to repair itself um, and it's really really important as we get older and um, i'm going to talk about this a little bit later as well and um, but as we get older we don't get the same i suppose bang for our buck with the protein that we eat as we did when we were younger. So we need to eat more of it, um, I suppose, to make sure we're getting um, the benefits of it. And um, we also want to make sure we're including healthy fats. Again, not something to be scared of and um, not something to cut out. Um, might, like, be mindful of portion sizes with them, um, but really, really important um, for overall health and um, really important for our heart health. Um, so we want to be aiming to include things like avocados, nuts, seeds, and we want to make sure that we're getting at least one to two portions of oily fish in a week. And if we're not getting those in, we want to take um, a fish oil supplement. OK, so there's tons of studies done on these um, and they benefit like a multitude of different aspects of health from our brain health to our heart health to our muscle health to our joint health. And um, so definitely something we want to be including. Um, yeah, um, I think, yeah, that's everything. <laughs> nutrition, yeah, so. Like, as you said, like, this is the area where like, we feel we can help people the best. Uh, it is our area of expertise. Uh, when it comes to nutrition, like, you know, that's, that's the solid advice. Like, bring that into real life. Uh, as we have at the bottom of the slide here, small sustainable changes are the key to success. So don't go away thinking you have to just do all of these things right away. That's going to be overwhelming enough. It's going to be, again, taking a look at your current nutrition and asking, okay, where can I make some small changes here? Where can I increase my whole grain carbs? Where can I get some extra fiber? How can I add in some protein into my meals or into my snacks? Just small little changes is all I'm trying to do. And that's going to be, again, just taking a look at your overall food intake. Nobody's going to be 100% with their nutrition. That's not what we're asking you to do. But it is just going to be a case of recognizing the role nutrition plays on our health, both physical and mental. Uh, so that is, from a nutrition standpoint, just maybe assessing, again, where you feel you're at and what small changes you can make to help your overall energy. So the next thing we're going to talk about um, is exercise. So something we're obviously very passionate about. Um, so exercise can help to counteract lots of the symptoms of menopause and it can help to support healthy aging too. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to run through a few different ways that it can do that. Um, so we're going to start with our bone health. So bones get stronger as we use them and give them work to do. So we want to aim for a combination of weight-bearing exercises, um, impact exercises, and muscle-strengthening exercises. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about what those look like um, later on. Um, but I suppose just to know that really, really beneficial for bone health as we age. Um, it's, really, it's really helpful for muscle mass. So we lose muscle mass as we age. And again, regular physical activity can, can help to counteract this. Um, and I think, you know, with regards to muscle mass, like, you know, it doesn't sound you're quite, like, I suppose it can sound like, oh, why, why would that, you know, why should that be something I'm worried about? But when we get older, keeping ourselves strong is going to help to keep us like independent for longer. It's going to help to keep our quality of life higher for longer. And it's going to help us to reduce that risk of falling. And that's one of the big things that leads to de deterioration when we age is people falling and all the negative effects associated with that. Um, so yeah, keeping our muscles strong, really, really important. Um, it helps to support our heart health. So going through menopause increases a woman's risk of heart disease if she's not on HRT. So this is down to hormonal changes and how that affects um, fat storage in our body. Um, regular exercise can help to maintain healthy cholesterol levels. It can help to keep our blood pressure healthy, all of which are going to help to reduce that risk of heart disease. Um, it can help us to maintain a healthy body weight. Now, we are going to talk about weight loss a little bit further um, down in the talk, but just to know that as we go through menopause, estrogen levels fall, and this causes our passion of fat distribution or where we store fat to change. 
So we tend to store more fat around our middle. And this is associated then with increased risk of things like cardiovascular disease, um, diabetes and other things like that. But by keeping your physical activity levels high and by you know aiming for that healthy balanced diet we talked about earlier, you can do a lot to reduce those risks and to keep yourself healthy for as long as you can. Um, Ian talked earlier about um, anxiety and things like that. So we know exercise can have a massive, massive impact on our mental health and how we feel. Um, so that's another um, important reason to, I suppose, exercise through um, the menopause. Like there, there really is, I'd always say, I sound, I sound biased coming from somebody who owns a gym, but there is nothing but benefits to regular resistance training. For all the misinformation and, you know, the, the different stuff you'll hear when it comes to nutrition and all these other things, try and find somebody who says training a couple of times a week uh, with resistance training isn't a benefit and you won't find it because the problem is, and I've seen it for, for years, is that as we get older, we think it's not that important. So unfortunately, the reason a lot of people take up weight training is with the goal of weight loss. But when we talk about future proofing later on, you know, it's future you that's going to benefit from resistance training uh, for a number or number of reasons that have nothing to do with weight loss. But what people think resistance training is, is going into a gym uh, that's full of meatheads yeah. and slamming weights and lifting heavy and getting bulky and all these myths that you have instead of thinking like, you know, what we do here in ATP, you come in, you know, you have your personal training session, it's tailored to you it's program built around you we have people in here in their 60s and their 70s uh, and it's amazing to see uh, how much they actually love training once they start training because what happens is people take up training and do things that they think they should be doing and not enjoying them versus finding something you enjoy and doing that as we said like you know it doesn't have to be weight training but it kind of does. <laughs> That's really like no. Just just because, <laughs> as in, if you added some of the resistance training in, because there, along with other stuff, because there is huge, huge benefits uh, from a physical standpoint, and we said from a mental health standpoint. But when it comes to regular exercise, doing something once or twice a week is going to be hugely beneficial if you're doing nothing at all uh, and just putting your body under a little bit of what we call good stress mm -hmm. uh, week on week is going to help you to live your healthiest and live your longest yeah and i think just to say as well if you're like you know someone who maybe isn't near menopause or maybe you have i don't know like teenagers or like you know you're younger yourself like i think just to realize that like starting early is always going to be better yes. so like starting as early as you can like some of these changes with our bone and our muscle like start happening in our 30s and I know sometimes it's easy for us to think and like I'm talking myself as well like it's easy for us to think like oh that's not something I need to worry about that's not going to happen to me for like whatever however many years um but it's now well I say now like if yeah <laughs> it's then that you're like laying those foundations and setting yourself up as well as you can for when you are older so like the more muscle mass the more bone mass you have going into all this mm the more likely you are to delay things like osteoporosis, like sarcopenia, all these different things. So I guess, yeah, just start as early as you can. <laughs> and like everything else, said, you know, get, get help and get advice yeah. uh, is important. And we did discuss, uh, we do a lot of discussion before we come on these talks, but we did discuss beforehand, uh, you know, how, like we're talking about all these things you can do to improve your lifestyle, okay? But we are very aware yes. of some of the symptoms that yeah. come with perimenopause like anxiety yeah. you know like, like the mental health issues that you have like like stuff like incontinence as we spoke yeah. about like you know these things can be a barrier to you taking up training uh so what we'd say is again like you find a competent gp find a competent gym or find, uh, find a competent trainer who understands a little bit about it and you know you feel more comfortable going into that space uh because there is something out there for you it's just a case of finding the right thing for you mm -hmm. yeah yeah no definitely so sleep and stress are two other areas. Um, so stress is a funny one. Uh, I'm going to talk about stress for a second because I think it's an area where people, this could be a tangent, no? Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, no, just because it's an area that I think some people openly talk about, happily talk about, and other people just dismiss it. Um, and I would have sent out an email this morning uh, called Domino Effect. And it's basically how one area of our lives will affect all the other areas of our lives. And sometimes we can hammer away at exercise. We can you know, go really hard on nutrition and diets 
and not realize that's not the domino that's causing all the rest to fall. Uh, so stress is a huge one I see with clients over the years. And the problem with stress is that we can't actually see it. Uh, you know, we can feel it, uh, the physical, uh, when, we, when we get stressed, we know what's happening, but just being able to see it. So what we want need to try and do is manage stress. And even if I, I type that in manage stress, but I actually don't like the word manage stress because how do you manage stress? Like what one person's stress is, is very different to another person's stress, the levels of stress. But I think it's important to, instead of trying to not feel stress, I think that's where the biggest issue arises is always allow yourself to feel how you feel. And I had this conversation with a friend not, not too long ago. I was like, always feel every emotion, no matter what it is, feel it. But you don't have to react to that emotion. And that's, that's, that's important. You, you, the problem is people trying to like push off the emotion. And I, I can't feel stressed. I can't feel sad. I can't feel tired. I'm not feeling this way. Feel it, but just you, you can choose how to act. And I think that's very, very powerful to, to recognize and understand. It's not easy to do like they're not easy to do trust me and it takes a bit of training and stuff but just recognizing that feeling and reacting are two very different things so when it comes to your own stress levels again remember as we spoke about the woman with the anxiety who had who was able to manage issues before and can't know this is something that has changed in her body that is causing this it isn't her seeing herself she sees herself as a weaker person it, it, it that's not the case like you know these physical changes have happened and hopefully by getting the right treatment and getting the right help from a counselor, from going on HRT, these type of things, these can help by improving her lifestyle and putting tips in place to help her stress levels. So when it comes to stress, the issue is it affects our mood or sleep or energy and our diet. When you get stressed, it's about recognizing I'm stressed, what has happened, okay? And looking back and seeing what happened. There's a thing in a book I read called MSDs. I think it's a really good point to make. They're called micro-stress doses. What a micro-stress dose is, small little bit of stresses that happen you know, throughout your day that just get you to explode and it's about recognizing what are your msds what are the small little things that just annoy you annoy you annoy you and then eventually the person next to you gets the brunt of it even though it's not really the main issue it's recognizing what your msds are and seeing can you put strategies in place to try and reduce those so if it's you're up you're up early in the morning but you're always rushing you're always late can you set an alarm 15 minutes early, 20 minutes earlier? Can you get something ready the night before that's going to stop you running out the door, spilling the coffee? All of these things set off. Instead of getting stuck in traffic, can you, can you manage that? So these little things, planning out your day is going to be absolutely crucial. Planning out your week is going to help massively. When it comes to improving your stress, exercise is a huge one. Uh, a lot of our clients, which is amazing to see, especially I think since the pandemic, mm. when, when I'm always like, what's your goal? What's your goal? Wrecking people's head, what's your goal? And so many people have now said, Ian, I'm coming to the gym from my head uh, and they leave feeling better. And that's huge. So again, whether it's training in the gym, whether it's doing a yoga class, whether it's you know, just doing a bit of meditation, whatever it is, find something that when you become stressed, this is what I can go and do. And when it comes to the likes of meditation, uh, I said, Ashley, I was going to use that word, I was going to do a deep breathing. Because when you mention meditation, people almost put up a barrier, as in what's this weird are going to talk about now. Uh, so deep breathing, okay, it is scientifically proving to help reduce anxiety, to help reduce stress. And that's all it is, it's deep breathing. So the problem with meditation and trying to understand it is that when you're meditating, so when you're focusing on, say, your breath and your mind wanders and you start thinking of these 10 different things, what happens at most people is they feel that they've you know, failed in meditation, hasn't worked meditation, not for them. They're thinking of all the jobs they have to do. But meditation is actually recognizing that you were now thinking of different things. You've gone away from the breath and then you come back to the breath. That's literally what meditation is. And you can do that for 60 seconds. You can do it for two minutes. You can build up to 10 minutes, whatever it is. But by doing that, your parasympathetic nervous system, which is your relaxed nervous system, you, you, you get that going by focusing on your breathing and slowing your breathing down. So what we're going to do, I'm going to get you to do with me now. We're going to do some box breathing, okay? We're just going to do one round of it. And this is something that you can take away with you and start utilizing when you're trying to go to sleep or if you're just trying to calm down. So box breathing is, it's four breaths in, a four-second hold, a four-second release, and a four-second hold, okay? So I want you to close your eyes, everybody. I'm watching. Close your eyes. All right? So deep breath in. Two three four hold two three four breathe out two three four hold two three four do it again 
deep breath in. Two, three, four. Hold. Two, three, four. Out. Two, three, four. Hold. Two, three, four. Now you've done two box breaths. Tell me you don't feel relaxed. Like it's something as simple as that. It's, it's not as easy when you get really stressed, just walk away. I knew this is going to be a tangent. Uh, you're going to walk away, and, but being able to actually step away from a scenario and just take those couple of deep breaths, your reaction is going to be different to what it was without those deep breaths. So that's something to take away. Uh, having a hobby is a huge one. Uh, I think, again, especially when we talk about menopause, perimenopause, do you have a hobby? Do you do something that you just enjoy doing? Uh, and I know people are very busy, but if it's something for 15 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever it is, Trying to find a hobby, uh, something that you, that's your time. That's going to be so, so important. Uh, talking about your problems is absolutely huge. Like, just talk to somebody, whether it's a friend, whether it's, we, we get a lot inside there. We love that, like, people can give tell us their problems inside here, if comfortable to tell us their problems. Talking to a counsellor, talking to a doctor, anybody at all, because everybody is going through some shit. Uh, so don't think you're the only person. And by talking about it uh, is definitely going to help, especially when it comes to perimenopause uh, and menopause. Small things like relaxing, uh, taking a bath, doing some stretching, as I said, doing, even getting a massage, all these things can help. So it's about recognizing, am I a person who gets stressed a lot? Do I have something in place to manage my stress levels? Because when clients fill in forms, I mean, I'm having chats with them, there's a stress level, 9 out of 10, 10 out of 10. First question, what do you do to manage your stress? Nothing. So how do you expect your stress to get better? And that's something we have to take control of. We control the controllables, and that's really important. So less of a tangent on sleep now. So sleep is one of the foundations of our health. Uh, it really, really is. But sleep, uh, especially with some of the symptoms that come with perimenopause, can be really challenging. Um, Tom Coleman is a guy that we've done a podcast with, uh, and he was on the menopause, menopause seminar as well. And what Tom's advice was, um, was, again, control the controllables. Give yourself the best opportunity at a good night's sleep. That, that might, might not happen due to hot flashes, due to anxiety. It might not be possible to get a great night's sleep, but what you can do is give yourself the best chance. And that's going to be putting good sleep hygiene into practice and ask yourself, are you doing that? So what is good sleep hygiene? It's a regular bedtime and a regular wake time. Uh, circadian rhythm is how our body works. We love routine, not just in sleep and everything. Our bodies love routine. Our minds love routine. So going to bed at a regular time, getting up at a regular time, even at weekends, if that's possible. Again, I know when it comes to kids, it's a very different story, but it is just something to be aware of. Room temperature is an important one, uh, especially for somebody who suffers from hot flashes during the night, uh, is having a cool room temperature. So they say 18 degrees, but you, if you have the option to have a room temperature, but just have a cool. Uh, having a fan in the room is going to be going to help. Uh, and just having light blankets, all these kind of things are going to help. No phones, uh, no social media. Ha realistically, they say an hour or two hours. It's, do a half an hour. Like, you know, 30 minutes before you go to bed, put that phone away, have your alarm set, read a book, do something like that, okay? Uh, reducing caffeine. Uh, my four shots of espresso yesterday by accident didn't really help my sleep. Uh, <laughs> but uh, reducing caffeine is definitely, definitely going to help. Reducing alcohol. As much as people see, you know, alcohol as it helps me get to sleep, it might help you get to sleep, but it's a sedative. It doesn't put you into that deep sleep, that restorative sleep that we want. Uh, so again, reducing alcohol. Uh, and a big one when it comes to, I said, especially when it comes to someone uh, suffering a hot flashes that I learned. And I was like, oh, for someone who teaches classes, if you have somebody who has these hot flashes quite a lot uh, and they're, they're affecting your sleep, doing things like HIIT training, so high intensity training late in the evening is not going to be a great idea for you to kind of set yourself up for uh, a good night's sleep. When you do high intensity training or any training of, of that intensity, it doesn't have to be a class. Uh, Basically, you're getting your sympathetic, that fight or flight kind of nervous system pumped up and, and your, your energy trying to get that back down. That takes a bit of work. So if you're training late in the evening, maybe just have a look at your training and just adjust it. Because I, for someone who owns a gym, I would take getting you getting a good night's sleep versus you doing a training session late at night all day. You, you will benefit more from that night's sleep. So all I can say about sleep is that, you know, give yourself the best opportunity. And that's what we're going to say about a lot of stuff is that nothing here is guaranteed. You're like, by doing this thing, it's not going to mean your symptoms are going to improve. It just means you're going to give yourself the best chance at doing it. And that's the role having a healthier lifestyle can play. So menopause and weight loss. What time is it? <laughs> so... Is weight loss harder on menopause? Uh, we said, yes, it is. Yeah. But, and, and the but is like, it's not impossible. Uh, 
when it comes to I had a client who is not even in perimenopause, uh, but just said to me recently, you know, I'm struggling to lose those few pounds. No, it's just because I'm older. I'm like, no, it's not. I'm like, it's because you're 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 not moving as much as you did for a lot of years. Uh, she's a very active person. You're you're consuming more over an extended period of time. There's other factors, I said, like stress and stuff that are causing you to eat more food than yeah. you do. Uh, but that's what it is. But it is very different when it comes to to perimenopause because your hormones are going crazy. I think we like we didn't have a graph up there, but like the hormones are just going crazy day to day, and your hormones play a role in. I said your mood, your energy levels, your hunger, your tiredness, and these all impact whether you can feel like exercising, whether your nutrition choices are going to be great. So yes, it is absolutely harder, but not impossible. But what I would say, and this is something I'd, I'd stress a lot, is what is weight loss going to do for you? Okay, is, is chasing weight loss going to what's the cost of you chasing weight loss is what I'd ask the question of. So is the cost of you chasing weight loss of where you're stressing about, you know, you've cut and you're going on this extreme diet where you've even less energy again, you're not fueling your body, you're training, doing exercise you don't even enjoy, training more than you've time to do uh, to try and lose some pounds on the scales versus training once or twice a week, doing something you enjoy, eating nutritious foods that actually give you energy, eating enough calories for what your body actually needs uh, and feeling better like looking better is it annoys you how much of a motivator that is for people but for how do you feel like if you can look and look great and feel like shit yeah. like you know so you can lose a few pounds put on a dress put on makeup and, and like yeah i look great but because of how you got there the cost of getting there of putting yourself through a hair training regime putting yourself through a crappy diet you know you might not feel great so i think at the end of the day it's about us feeling our best yeah not necessarily looking our best. Uh, so what I would say is like, just make sure there's nothing wrong. I have no problem with people chasing weight loss. Oh, yeah, I, yeah. I think I said, again, it's what we, it's what we do, yeah. but just make sure the cost isn't too much. Yeah. Uh, like you can hundred percent lose weight, uh, but it's just doing it the right way, doing it slowly uh, and doing it in a healthy way, because there will be an impact to you doing crash diets. There will be an impact to you exercising excessively uh, and that impact is going to be maybe your symptoms getting worse and that them flaring up even more so what i would say is yes you can lose weight but ask yourself you know what will losing those four or five pounds do for you uh, if you feel they will help you then do it the right way by getting solid nutrition advice by looking after your sleep looking after your stress as i said the domino effect of weight loss is the same for every person what i mean by that is that find out your what what your domino is and which one is falling and then fix that one and then that'll help the rest like nutrition exercise sleep stress mindset and your environment all play a role uh, so it's about finding the areas in your life that are having the biggest impact on you and addressing those first because we tend to just look at nutrition and training first and as Ashley said stubborn body fat is stubborn uh, something we want to take we want to change this conversation so any clients listening know you're not allowed to say this anymore okay <laughs> We don't like, honestly, we don't like the words like a oh, spare tire, grabbing your tummy, bingo wings, like, you know, they're your triceps, it's your stomach. Uh, like, again, fat distribution changes as your hormones change. Uh, so it's, it's that's fat distribution is out of your control. How much fat we put on is within our control. And that's how I look at that. So is that like, you know, if we improve our nutrition and you know, exercise regularly and stuff, we can reduce the amount of excess body fat that we tend, that we store where it goes we have no control over and where we get it where we take it from if we go on a diet is out of our control completely as well that's so important to, to recognize that like you can't do extra triceps or extra core work that's going to take the body fat away from that area when it comes to reducing body fat it's a case of being in a slight calorie deficit that your body has to get the energy from somewhere so it goes to store body fat pulls that out of the cell, converts that for energy and uses that. And over time, then we reduce body fat. But where that comes from, you have no choice in the matter. So it's a case of doing the basics continuously for a period of time. And eventually you'll get the results you're looking for. Last one. So future proofing. <laughs> this is our last slide. It says yeah, future proofing. Uh, very happy with the time. Future proofing. So I said I could be hit by a bus tomorrow mentality. I put that one in there because 
people have this mentality when I talk about, you know, looking at yourself long term. So I, I talk about this when it comes to obesity. I obviously have a huge passion in you know, helping to prevent obesity. Uh, and for me, prevention is the absolute only answer that we have uh, when it comes to obesity. And we're going to talk about these age-related diseases again in a second. But some people's answers are like, you know, I'm like, do these things now. So it'll prevent you from getting cardiovascular disease, prevent you from getting sick, prevent you from all these other things that happen when we become obese. So you push Ian, you could be hit by a bus tomorrow. And I'm like, yes, you could but you could live till you're a hundred and would you not want to be the best version of yourself for as long as you possibly can? So by training regularly, by eating well, by doing all these preventative measures, you could still get hit by the bus. You could still, anything could happen to you next week or the week after, but you're giving yourself the best chance at living a quality life. And I think that needs to be a big enough goal for you to do these things. No. So I am going to start. Um, I'm going to start with osteoporosis and something I'm, really really interested in and passionate about myself um so like this is one of the reasons i actually got into training um one of the reasons i am so passionate about getting everyone into resistance training even though you know we're kind of saying you know you don't have to but we do like you know <laughs> want everyone to um so i guess when we're talking about bone health so we reach our peak bone mass around age 30. from then it hits a little bit of a plateau and then it declines but the really unfair thing is that for us women, this decline is massively accelerated in the menopause due to these changing hormones. So your estrogen levels fall. Estrogen has a protective effect on bone. So therefore, when it plummets, your bone mass starts to decrease as well. So I was reading, I, I, I don't know, there was a study anyway, that was saying that women can lose as much as 20% of their bone mass in the five to seven years after menopause. And this is why what I was saying earlier about taking action to build as much bone as you can earlier in your life and then doing everything you can to preserve that bone as you get older um, is going to be key to keeping you healthy as you age. Um, so I guess just to explain a little bit what osteoporosis is, just in case anyone doesn't know, because I certainly didn't know um, before. Um, so it's a condition that causes a weakening of the skeleton and it makes your bones more fragile and more likely to break. And the thing with this is that it's often a silent disease. So we often don't know we have it until kind of a small fall or something like that causes a break, um, sorry, causes a bone to break. Um, it's diagnosed using a DEXA scan. So if it is something you're worried about, um, I would suggest going to a doctor and asking for one. Um, really easy to organize, non-invasive, really easy to get done. Um, so when we're talking about what you can do to help to future-proof yourself, um, it's gonna come back to a lot of what we talked about earlier. Um, Really, um, from our perspective, we're going to talk about training and nutrition. Um, so when it comes to training, we're looking at weight-bearing exercises with some impact. So that is things like going for a brisk walk, walking up the stairs, um, going for a run, doing some jumping jacks. Anything where you're putting impact through your bones will cause them to have to work and get stronger. Um, you're also going to be looking at resistance training. So this can be anything from bodyweight work to resistance bands, to lifting weights in the gym. And I think that's something, you know, Ian was saying earlier, like we really want to drive home that it's not like, you know, deadlifting a hundred kilos or it's not throwing a barbell on your back. And I think what we've seen over the last few months and something that makes me really happy is that we have seen a lot of older people start to take up training. And I think the thing they all say is that, oh my God, that wasn't as bad as I thought it was. Or, yeah. oh my God, I thought you were going to make me do this. And I'm like, I'm never going to make you do anything. Yeah. It's always going to be taken slowly. You know, I'm never going to, we're always going to see how it feels and work with you and get feedback from you. Um, so yeah, on oh, my first tangent. There we go. <laughs> um, but yeah, so just to say, yeah, we've had lots of people come in over the last few months and it is something that makes us really, really happy. Um, so from a dietary perspective, then basics all apply, all that we spoke about earlier. And um, two things we want to be aware of is calcium and vitamin D. So calcium is key for keeping our bones strong. Um, we get calcium, for most of us, dairy is going to be our ideal source of calcium um, because dairy contains lots of other bone-friendly nutrients like vitamin D and protein. Um, I know there's a lot of myths out there saying dairy is bad and it's going to you know, do the opposite to your bones and things like that. But honestly, like if you're eating dairy, um, it is ideal for bones. Um, other sources, if you're not, um, things like tin sardines or salmon that have the bones in them, um, tofu, if you're not eating meat, um, yeah, fortified. So if you are plant-based, make sure the milks that you're getting are fortified with calcium. Um, and second then is vitamin D. 
So we can make vitamin D in our skin when we're exposed to sunshine. Unfortunately, in Ireland, that doesn't happen through the winter. So that's why experts recommend that everyone takes a supplement through the winter. And we can get some from our food. So things like oily fish, red meat, dairy products again. Um, but unfortunately, it's just not enough to help us to meet our needs. So vitamin D deficiency is really common in Ireland. And vitamin D deficiency will impact your bone health. And um, it will impact other things like um, muscle mass, mood, immunity, host of other things. So if you can get tested, we would highly advise that you do. But I do understand it can be a really, really difficult thing to get done in Ireland, unfortunately. Just assume, um, just assume you're deficient. That's the best way well, to go about it. Like the recommendation is to supplement regardless. Yeah. So if you are... I suppose then identified as being deficient your doctor is just going to give you a higher dose of that yeah, supplement exactly. so regardless um you need to be getting some sort of supplement in there um as well from a bone health perspective and an overall overall health perspective don't smoke if you are smoking try you know try to quit try to put it down um, and same with alcohol just moderate your alcohol intake because it can have a negative impact on bone health but it can actually also increase your risk of falls because we all know after alcohol um after alcohol, um, a little bit unsteady on your feet, so you are increasing your risk of falls there. Um, next, I'm gonna go on to sarcopenia. So this is just a fancy way of saying age-related loss of muscle mass and strength. So just like with our bones, we reach peak muscle mass around 30 years of age. Now, this is in people who don't resistance train. Okay, it's not to say that once you hit 30, you just can't build any more muscle. It's in people who don't resistance train, their muscle mass decreases after age 30, and unfortunately, for women again, that is accelerated post, or that is accelerated during the menopause. Um, so the reason we harp on about, um, I suppose, keeping our muscles strong is that sarcopenia is associated with a lot of adverse outcomes as we age. And the main one of those is a risk of falls. So people who have sarcopenia or who have this low muscle mass are like three times more likely to fall than someone who doesn't. And if they do fall, they're at increased risk then of the negative effects associated with that. So it's things from breaking bones, but also things like social isolation then because they can't go out and um, things like losing more muscle mass because they can't get up. And actually, unfortunately, death. And, you know, that is like people who break their hips and stuff, they have a higher risk of dying within the next few years following that. And um, just because, you know, they're not moving, they're not getting out of the house, um, you know, their mental health is suffering all these kind of things and um, so when we're talking about what we can do again so I don't want to just focus on you know kind of the negative things that can happen we always want to give you I suppose ideas on how you can um, help yourself and um, so again going back to nutrition and training and um, nutrition wise all we talked about before applies but this time our special focus is going to be on protein okay so as I said earlier as we get older we don't get the same bang for our buck from the protein as we did when we were younger so say if myself and someone who's 80 had the same amount of protein, my muscles are gonna be able to use that more than you know the older person, okay? So that just means the older person needs to have more protein to get the same effect as a younger person might, okay? So practically, what we want to be doing is trying to include a source of protein at each of our meals. So if you think of the size of the palm of your hand, so like a chicken breast, a salmon down, two or three eggs, that kind of thing. Getting those in at each of your main meals is a really, really good place to start. Um, if you can choose higher protein snacks, that's an added bonus, but definitely start by getting it into your main meals. Breakfast is a really, really good place to start. And it can literally be as simple as adding a high protein yogurt to your porridge, to your toast, to whatever you're having. Um, from a training perspective, then it is the same recommendation as it is for bone health um, resistance training. So what resistance training does is it I suppose it's like the stimulus, it triggers our muscles. And then what the protein does is it provides the building blocks then to actually grow that new muscle. Um, so yeah, resistance training um, and protein. protein. So when, when, it come, <laughs> when it comes to the protein as well, uh, we talk about as we get older and our body not be able to utilize it as best. So we need extra. But what I would say is again, from experience, you know, working on nutrition with clients, general population yeah, yeah, like yeah, when, yeah. When, when, I, when i see someone's yeah. uh when someone gives me like their active like actual food diary mm-hmm. and they're tracking their food that like you know so the recommendation the rda for health is 0.8 grams for every kg that you weigh now that's too low straight out it's too low for everybody okay that's that's to keep you alive type thing so without getting too fancy like you know if you can be aiming for 1.3 to 1.5 grams 
for every kg of that you weigh, you'll be you'll be good. You'll be good because most people like the ideal for me would be more again, especially as you get older. But from a realistic life point of view, if you're hitting one and a half grams for every kg to weigh, you're going to be hitting a decent amount of protein per day. So just something to consider if you are going to start looking at your protein a bit more detail. But as Ashing said, you know, just putting protein into your snacks, into your meals is going to help increasing what you're already doing. Yeah. That's like the biggest thing that to take away, guys, especially on nutrition, is don't think you have to do everything else straight away. It's just, right, what am I doing now? Can I make a couple of small changes to improve that area? And that that's rather than get overwhelmed and thinking, if I don't do all these things, all these things are going to happen to me. That's not the case. It's like if you make small changes, no, that's going to improve you now and you in 10 years' time and 20 years' time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so the last one I'm going to talk about, that was a great idea. Um, the last thing I'm going to talk about um, is heart health. So a woman's risk of cardiovascular disease increases as she goes through menopause if she isn't on HRT, okay? So this is because estrogen has a protective effect on our heart. So it keeps our blood vessels healthy. It keeps our cholesterol levels healthy. Um, and again, with, with the falling estrogen levels, we also get that change in the pattern of fat distribution. So we're storing more fat around our middle, which again, will increase your risk of cardiovascular disease. But I suppose, again, we're not gonna, we don't wanna just focus on what can happen. We want to focus on what we can do. So again, going back to nutrition, the basics apply. And we want to really focus here on getting our fiber in, okay? So fiber helps to reduce risk of cardiovascular disease. It also helps to keep your gut healthy. It will support weight loss goals if that's something you're working towards. And it can actually decrease your risk of diabetes and even um, some cancers like colorectal cancer. So when you're choosing your carbs, like we said earlier, you're focusing on those higher fiber carbs. So an easy way to think of it is, is the brown, brown carbs. So your brown pasta, your brown rice, your brown, oat cakes, your brown oats, bread, your brown bread, and oats are actually- Can you have bananas? No, not like, um, but oats are actually really, really good. So they contain like a special type of fiber, which has been shown to actually help reduce cholesterol levels. So really, really good um, choice for breakfast if you are someone who suffers a high cholesterol levels. Um, but basically, yeah, it's just those recommendations you made earlier of getting, you know, the oily fish in, getting those whole grain carbs, plenty of fruit and vegetable, and again, moderating your alcohol intake and not smoking um, are going to be are going to be massively beneficial. Um, and with regards to exercise, then same recommendations. Um, we want to be resistance training. Our heart is a muscle after all. Um, but we also want to be getting out for those walks, getting that little bit of cardio in. Um, yeah, and just keeping active overall. So our physical health affects our mental health. Our mental health affects our physical health. Massively. They are intertwined yeah. and interconnected. So don't put one in front of the other. Have them side by side mm-hmm. and look at things you can do to improve both and and to manage both um so we've gone through a lot there uh, i think we're just on the on the hour mark which is pretty good decent so we're just going to summarize and then we'll have a little q a uh, so to summarize as i said like what i what i have learned and I, I said i talked about barrier to start of like being a male at 34 like what the hell does he know you know but like for me i'm like what i would love the conversation to become uh, and it will and it already has, has had to happen in atp is menopause is a very natural and normal progression in a woman's life and it's as natural and normal as menstrual cycle as everything else that happens in a woman's life you know so it's time that we normalize it uh, and i think like you know speaking about it you know sending this to people as i said like you know it's on us for people who have no information you know have some of the basic information to spread the word and just start more conversations i think that's going to help everybody um recognizing the signs and symptoms will help a lot as we said symptom diary is something we spoke about uh and i said it's symptoms are going to be very person dependent uh you might have one two none you might have a mild you might have severe but again talking to somebody and getting help about these symptoms and recognizing they could be related to your hormones and your perimenopause Building a strong support network, that for me is it. That like that'll just help you in every aspect of this journey. Uh, so build a support network, follow people on Instagram or, or these people who, who are you know promoting this and talking about this and get get good information and then talk to your friends about it. I know that they'll definitely 
you know, once some once one person opens up, I had this conversation with a client uh, about being like, you know, they were talking about my emails and they were saying like, you know, you're very vulnerable in your email sometimes. Like, yes, I am. And they're the ones who get the biggest response from people. When I send an email about how shit I'm feeling or something that's happening, the response comes back is like, oh my God, I was feeling this way, especially during the pandemic and stuff like, you know, so talk, just talk to your friends, but get some professional help as well. Like, don't be afraid to talk to a counsellor. I think like it's one of the best things I've ever done. I literally am just of the opinion well I won't say should do but I am of the opinion that it's literally something everyone should do and I don't like saying should I don't mean it like that but I just think it's something that literally everyone could benefit from and I think we need to get out of that mindset of oh I need to be really bad before I go where I need to be feeling really bad you actually don't like if you just want to chat with someone who is like impartial or whatever you know like I'm on a second in and say honestly one of the best things I've ever done um yeah. So don't be afraid to get help on that. And I said, normalizing the conversation on menopause is genuinely what why we're here, why we've done what we've done. Uh, and it's you know, it was a little uncomfortable when we said we want to do it. We're like, oh, we better get get going. Uh, so we want you to help us to normalize the conversation. Uh, so I said, talk to people, share this, let people know about it. Uh, this recording will be available for a month for people to watch at any time. Uh, so yeah, we hope you've taken some snippets from it. Uh, and if you can watch it back, you might take something else from it again in time. Uh, so if you have any questions, please just throw your questions in and I'd be happy to answer any of your questions. So there are no silly questions, so don't be afraid to ask. Uh, there is one question came in beforehand and it was basically how to support someone going through it. And Ashling answered that. And what did you say? Listen, this is something I've massively learned since like I've actually learned from Ian is just listen. Um, you don't always have to have the answer, and they don't always need an answer from you. Um, you just need to listen. And like we were talking about earlier, it's like actively listening. So a lot of the time we all do it. It's not a bad thing, it doesn't make you a bad person, but a lot of us when we're listening, we're really just thinking about what we want to say back. So we were saying earlier, like how it's a constant thing of trying to just remind yourself to just listen and not be thinking about what you're going to say. Um, but yeah, I think that's the best thing you can do is just listen and not feel like you have to have an answer all the time for that person. Exactly. Uh, that's something I've definitely learned as a coach is to, a lot of time people will come to the conclusion themselves yeah, yeah, if yeah. you just let them. Uh, so yeah, that's it from myself and Ashling. Uh, I'm very proud that we stayed kind of close enough to the hour. So thanks to everybody for joining. Uh, we're really happy. I said, if you've taken something from it, please let us know. If you listen back to this later on, you have a question, you have, you have our email, you can send us a message on Instagram. We're really, really happy that we've, uh, we've done this uh, and we've started this conversation. So thanks again to everybody. Mm-hmm.